Happy Monday. What up, y'all? How's everybody doing this afternoon? Here we are. We good? Here we are. Here we are. We are two dope teachers in a mic. Uh, you are pedagogical DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. That's right. Which is which? Who's, who's the DJ Jazzy Jeff and who's the Fresh Prince? Well, I feel like at times I could be the Fresh Prince. Yeah. But at the times, you know, you could be the Fresh Prince, yeah. I could be Jazzy Jeff, as I feel like I get thrown out of places like <laughs> Jeff did. Right. But Jeff was musical. Jeff was, Jeff was musical. Like, I'd love that Jeff played a clown on the yeah. show. Yeah. Because, like, if you, like, listen to Jeff's music, you're like, oh, my he, God. He was a genius, and, and the kids are always surprised to hear how important he was to the development of hip-hop. Like, yeah, he's not just like kind to of... me. Every track that I hear that DJ Jazzy Jeff either remixes or has done, I'm like, "Summertime." First of all, is the dopest production it, it really is. It really that is. exists. You can play that stuff right yeah. now. Yeah, every yep. we want because the copyright nice. though. Yeah, yeah, we got to figure out that copyright thing. <laughs> I think we can play that. like a section. Of I think it. Will would like, let we us can play do like it. ten seconds. Will would let us do it. Yeah, if he owns the masters. If he owns the masters, that's right. But that that jam, like that's why I'm saying, Jeff. Jeff has two sides. Like, he's yeah. humorous when you see yeah. him on the show, but Jeff's a real cat. Well, that's kind of like us, right? Like, we're humorous, but but we we feel that we're pretty intelligent. Yeah, don't and get it twisted. Yeah, don't we've get it read, twisted. We've read some books and acted like we read other books. We're educated. We're educated. We both, there's two master's degrees between that's us. That's right. That's so right. That's good. Um, well, welcome to Justice Monday for Two Dope Teachers and a Mic. Yeah. Uh, I'm Gerardo Munoz. I'm your boy, Kevin Adams. And uh, we are merely two public school teachers in the city of Denver on a balmy November day. Yeah. It's very nice yeah, out there today. Nice. My child is probably very unhappy that uh, she is sitting here waiting for, us, waiting for us to record instead of frolicking in the outdoors. Does she ever get you? She's like, all right, now you got to pay up for all those times. Not yet. Waiting. She's smart, man. She's calculating. Like, she's going to figure out She's going to figure out and be like, it. all right, here's what you owe yep, me. Exactly. I've been counting. I've been like, keeping hours. It's going to be like back pay. We're going to Mile High Comics. Yeah. Yeah. So we're happy to be here. What you rocking on this Justice I'm Monday? I'm rocking Franz Fanon. Franz Fanon, you know? Wretched of the Earth. And everybody today, people I've had, more people come up to me and say, who is that on your shirt? Yeah. And I'm like, you better you better recognize this, the dude. This he's you a know, dude. He, he, and I don't know. How would you classify him? He's like an, an anti-imperialist psychologist, yeah. anti-colonialist psychologist. Yeah. You know, I think who just set a mindset. And, and when I read Wretched... And and blacks, uh, black skin, white mask. Yeah, we, we, I got to those books. I was like, oh my gosh, how have I never heard of this dude? Yeah, I didn't hear it, about him until I've been teaching a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. When I had but, a colleague, shout out to Izzy. Uh, when I had a colleague who shared some of his writings with me. But yeah, I mean, I think, it, and I find in the world history class I teach, and so when we get to that period, uh, his words really resonate, particularly with our kids of color. Yeah, yeah. Very Bell Hooksian, too. Yeah, yeah. And the stuff he talks about, and, and when he talks about the psychology of it all, the mindset, you know, oh, I just thought of something that we could talk about, but I'll bring it up. Okay. I'm not going to put it on the agenda, but okay. we'll bring it up okay. towards the end. If I, I hope I don't forget. But it was something <laughs> that I've been trying to do. And I think, you know, all of us teachers of color who are working with kids of color, we can yep. all jump into this stuff. But yep. it, it just sparked me when we talked about psychology. Okay. So ideas are coming right, back so, to me. So something like that. I'm, right now, I'm looking on my phone because uh, I'm representing Soul Brother Number One. Yes. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, GQ's Citizen of the Year. All right, well, go GQ. It's good that he's finally getting some recognition because yeah. I feel like the brother has only been, uh, you know, gotten garbage yeah. and treated poorly. Yeah. And I think it's something important. I think you know, like Muhammad Ali, years from now, 
will be thinking about this very differently. Yeah. You know, and I can only imagine what it was like when Ali was like, I ain't going to Vietnam. Yeah. I'm giving up my because title. Because the things he said were a lot more combative than the things that, that Kaepernick Absolutely. said. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I'm representing Kaepernick. I'm actually wearing my t-shirt that my sister-in-law, Connie, got me. So shout, shout out, out to Connie. Connie. Repping it, repping it. And we had a couple of students uh, who are repping this stuff yes. too. Yeah. A couple of you guys posted pictures on Instagram, so... Uh, shout out to Allison DHLW and Allie.Cochran.31 yeah. uh, for repping Justice Monday with us. And like I think you I think you alluded to this really well. It's like a, it's a really good conversation starter with people. I had eleven year olds asking me today, like, why is that dude's hair in a fist? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and who is that? Do you like the 49ers? And I'm boycotting the NFL, which I understand it's good. It's, yeah, you're a Bronco fan yeah. boycotting oh, man. the NFL right now. I'm not going to tell you about the They should sign Colin Kaepernick. Last... They should sign Colin you'd Kaepernick. Think, you'd think that but people would, what's but it they take? ain't signing him. NFL, I just got to tell you, I will come back. If my Broncos sign Colin Kaepernick, I will, I will, I will tune come in back again. To it. Although I may not tune in because there's still a lot of other issues. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I know. It's the not more, just the about more it Colin. goes, at least they suspended Zeke. Yeah, like, I know my Cowboys fans out there are upset about it, but it, look, but come y'all, on. we cannot come on. look. Oh man, we are in the in the midst of a revolution or an earthquake, a ground. All y'all men out there it's doing true. dirt. Yep. Time has come. Time it's has all going to come to the light. Time has come. You've yeah. been doing dirt. It's coming to the light. I saw, I saw a meme on social media. It said, men between 1950 and 2016. I don't understand feminists. It seems like they're just angry at men. And then men, 2017. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it is one of those times when you have to reflect as a male as to, A, how your behavior appears to others, and B how it is really true that um that the poor behavior by some can really just impact everybody and i wouldn't even say by a few because i actually do think that a good number of men are perpetrators of of um of patriarchy and sexism in ways that they don't necessarily realize that you don't think about yeah that you don't think about yeah, so we man, we gotta come correct, you know. Come like correct. we cannot allow ourselves to be Roy Moore in the world. We can't allow ourselves to be Louis C.K. Harvey Weinstein. It's just incredible to me, man. George H. W. Bush. H. W. Yeah, it's a Bill Cosby. Yeah, it's keep Woody Allen. Woody Allen. Ben Roethlis. Oh wait, he never got in trouble, did he? He he somehow got out. He somehow got out. Big Ben. There you go. Oddly enough. All right, so um, so here we are on a Justice Monday. We've got a few things to do. We'd like to check in. We're going to talk about different ways that isolation by uh, by of teachers of color in schools can really play out, yep. and um, and how we can maybe think about this a little bit differently. Uh, got some really cool events we want to we want to detail, yeah. and uh, you know, and of course we're looking forward to hearing from you. You can find us on Facebook, like us, Two Dope Teachers. And you can also follow us at Two Dope Teachers on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you old school want to send an email, Two Dope Teachers at Gmail That's right. dot com. Get us to three hundred likes, y'all. Come on, we're getting there. We're at two hundred sixty five likes. Ooh, that's close. If y'all all tell one person, we could double that for real. That's it. That's so it. should we talk about the studio? <laughs> the studio. Oh, y'all, we have stepped up. Well, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> He's a glass half empty, half full. I'm a glass yeah, half empty. Yeah. Guys, we are coming to you. Uh, we don't know what this is as a sign of. We are in the principal's Man, office. Man, we are in the principal's we office. We are in the principal's office like young right MC. now. 
talking about? <laughs> like did Young we MC. Young MC last week? We did. Young, I mean, MC. Young MC. We got to get Young, Young MC on the show. That, that song, Principal's Office, was one of my favorite ones. Young MC was like the greatest, like, childhood, oh, he school was age rap. He was, remember his album? Stone Cold Rhyming? Stone Cold Rhyming. <laughs> yeah, so we are in the principal's office. Our principal was so kind enough to let us use... Her office, when she heard that we were looking for a studio, our other studio, two dope studios, is being used currently to prepare for the drama production. Yes. Which is coming. Which is coming. Is it this week? This week. It's this week. They, drama production. They're opening. Uh, yeah. So so we, we were going to record in there, but man, it is crazy. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the theater backstage is like crazy. Uh, shout out to our theater teacher for taking care of that business. It's amazing. It's pretty crazy. Like I acted in shows and the way we acted, man, like I, it's, it's just amazing to me. Anybody will take that on. So we're in the principal's office after sort of wandering aimlessly, c- carrying a laptop and a mic, That's trying to find somewhere two, to be. Two teachers wandering <laughs> around a room. So, so we're in the principal's office. We're we're kind of like taking a look around and uh, and just I'm looking. See. Are there any notes about me? I know there's there's like <laughs> Mr. Adams needs to be fired. <laughs> there's a question of, of of about food in class. Like we're definitely talking about all this kind of stuff. We so got, we got all this stuff. We're on the inside. We are. So I don't know. Are, like, is this the first step to us being co-opted? I'm not really sure. Like that's <laughs> the thing that I'm thinking about because it's like, well, what is this portend? You know, I mean, I, I miss our little studio, man. It's like it is nice. The little studio with all the strange words written, the, the artwork, the, the clocks. Artwork, I do misspelled miss the graffiti. The misspelled graffiti. <laughs> It's good stuff. Y'all know what we're talking about. Y'all know what we're talking about. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, so that's what, so uh, checking in, how you doing? I'm doing good, yeah. man. You know, it's getting closer to that break, so that's what I'm looking forward to oh, is man. to have a week off. Um, I can't tell you. I'm excited. We're supposed to be hosting the Thanksgiving dinner at our house. Oh, are you? Oh, you took that on. So we've taken that on. Is that a lot of family on. coming? Or? Not too many. Okay. You know, it's my folks. It's Bird's folks. And I think Bird's Anne is coming from Texas and okay. the kids. Okay. So it's pretty relaxing. Not too yeah. much. Not yeah. too high stress. Yeah. I'm gonna fry a turkey. You're gonna fry a turkey? You got the, you got your turkey. I fryer got a and turkey everything? fryer. That's tight. That's tight. I'm just I'm I, I keep arguing with my wife because I was like, We can order a turkey off of Amazon. And she's like, You don't order a turkey on Amazon and I'm like why not? Why not? Why not? Yeah, I, my I, brother-in-law bought a car off eBay years ago. Like, I don't know why you can't do that now. Amazon got food. Amazon's selling food. They sent me an email. So I was like, let's get our turkey that from food. Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and if it's prime, you could have that thing by tomorrow. You have a turkey. You don't for want real. to get it too early because we don't have any space for it. Oh, like, yeah. Like, that's the key. Like, we're very limited in the space. Yeah. Yeah. No, you got you to gotta time it just right. And but you, gotta you can't get wait it, too long. Yeah, because you get a frozen one. Right. Well, but then you, some places run out of turkeys. Turkeys? Like, yeah. like we're, trying to get, we're trying to get an organic turkey, but I think I think that ship is going to sail in the next, like, day or so. Like, really? so we need to make sure we take it. Well, but you can order them and then pick them up when you need yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah. But that's kind of That's why I got to check it. So, like, fried, fried turkeys, man, that's, like, the best turkey in the worst way possible. It <laughs> like, is. It is. Like, do you inject... No, the, I don't stuff. inject it. Because the injections are hilarious. Yeah. Like you look at that, you're like, what am I doing with my life that I'm injecting <laughs> No, I don't stuff? inject it. I just, you know, I, I, I basically give it some basic love. You lather it up. You don't put too much <laughs> of the seasonings on there, you know, but you fry it right. Yeah. You do it at the right time. It's tender, okay. juicy. Okay. Now, do you do stuffing? Or do you do No, we cook dressing. stuffing. We so do we it's dress. Not, it's not. That's yeah, what I was going to say. Right. That's not stuffing. First, grandma it. makes the dressing, and it's, okay. it's legendary. She puts her foot into it. 
Yeah. You know, so it's legendary. Okay, okay. People people be fighting for the extras. I think I'm going to ask my mom to make collard greens. <laughs> yeah. Because that's something that we struggle with in my house. Yeah. Making those really? greens, right? Yeah, yeah. I haven't gotten it quite down. Yeah. Well, so that, that's the interesting it's thing. It's always the debate. Do you put a turkey leg? Do you use a ham hock? That's do a good, you, yeah. You know? I think, I mean, I think you use a ham hock, but that's a whole other, like, process, that right? Is. Like, that and, is. I mean, if you're going to cook all day, you might as well, right? But like, I think the last time we did it, we put a turkey leg. We tried to be modern, healthier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that does. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, and, and you know, my mom, <laughs> shout out to mom. My mom is always, like, every Thanksgiving, she's like, I don't know why people don't eat turkey more often. Like, why don't, a, this that is, is really what you good. wonder when you have that turkey dinner. You're like, why don't we eat why turkey? Why do this more often? Why don't we have a turkey dinner, and like, in the middle like, of the summer? And then everybody's, like, falling asleep. And you're like, oh, that's why. <laughs> that's why. That's why. <laughs> now, we'll, so we'll probably go with the in-laws. Um, but we, we tend to make our own turkey. Th- uh, my daughter and I, we, we make a turkey like every year. And I'm using my grandma's old recipes. So we do we do the stuffing. We do the sage. We do all that all kind that of stuff. stuff. So oven roasted. Oven roasted, yep. Uh, tamales. Like, we Ooh, do that whole kind see, of See, that's so good. It's going to be good. It's going to be really interesting. Um, Thanksgiving is always really interesting. So Good conversation. Getting some arguments. Yeah, yeah. Feel like there's stuff that you never touch. You're like, see, let's not talk about this. Yeah, that's that's more of what like, it is. Let's not bring one, up the present. One dinner in like in my in-laws, like we just don't talk about a lot of stuff. But but like definitely like we'll go on and on uh, on my side. So um, but yeah, it's our <laughs> first Thanksgiving in our new house. So um, there you of course go. we won't have it at our house. But that's all right. Not, Sometimes not, that's a blessing. We ain't ready for that. It's a blessing. Ain't, for hey, that. Like, ain't nobody. Although time although shout out to to uh, to um, what's it called? I don't even know this. The Closet Factory for finally setting up a time to come put in my shelving. Yeah, there you Much go. Much appreciated, y'all. That's important. Oh, I, I got to call y'all and confirm. Well, this is my confirmation. This is my podcast. confirmation. I hope y'all are you, listening. You can come over. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. It's It's been a... It's a, Yeah, it is like stumbling to the finish line, man. I'm, I, I'm so tired. I can't see straight. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Speaking of finish line... Finish line. Oh yeah, See, that finish was good. Line. I like what you did there. I like what you, you did saw there. what I did. I did. You see how I did that I segue? Did. That's what we call us in the industry. We call, we call it call a, segue? a segue. That's right. When you've been doing this as long as we have, yeah, sixteen yeah. episodes strong. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh man, we're getting close to twenty. We are. We're, we're getting close to twenty. Um, and you know, send us your ideas for a twentieth episode like celebration. We're, oh, we're getting. This is big. We're getting old in this. We're getting old. We're, we're becoming legends in our own minds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so crossing the finish line. Yeah. You had a big celebration, I big did. event. I did. I can't believe it's been over a week already. Like, oh, it, it's been really interesting. So for those of you who um, haven't ha- been subjected to this whole process, um, I ran the New York Marathon last week. Like a boss. Last Sunday. Man, it was so much fun. And um, one, one of the things that was really made fun about it was through – the New York City Marathon app, you can tr- you can track runners. No, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna I've, I've so talk about the app, but I don't want you to tell anything because I'm gonna interview you. This oh, is gonna, okay, because there's okay, big okay, stuff. Okay. So, but just talk about the app, finish so, that up. So it was fun. And I'm gonna get into my questions. It was fun having people do that. When I came back to work on uh, Wednesday of last week, um, I on in my on my board in big letters was my finishing time. Is that part of the question? Yeah. yeah. Should I? Well, yeah. We'll get to all. That okay, we'll stuff. get to all that. So, um, but it, talk, it was a blast. It was a blast, and uh, it was really cool. But now I don't feel like I can say anything because you're going to interview Because I'm going to interview you. Okay, I got right, questions. Here we, go. here we go. All right. So, first of all, we're here with my man, Gerardo Munoz. Hello. Who just successfully, last week, completed that New York marathon. Depends on how you define success. Oh, okay, you finished it. You did not die. <laughs> That's right. I didn't you die. You made it through. Didn't pass out. So, first back. of all, this is how we'll quantify success. 
because we try to quantify things. Yeah, that's right. So we are data-driven so, podcast. First of all, how many people <laughs> were in this so marathon? I would. So I believe there is between fifty-one and fifty-two thousand people running in New York. Yeah, that's a lot people. of people. So that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. So. Where did you finish among those fifty-one to fifty-two thousand people? I believe, and I can look this up. Yeah. Um, I believe I finished in the top eleven thousand. In the top eleven thousand, folks. Shot out. That's why I said <laughs> this man was successful. He he. If I had been running this, I'd have been like close to fifty-two thousand walking <laughs> in. Hey, did you see what? Um, did you see what happened with it? So there are people that it basically took them like eight hours to get through the course and everything. Yeah. And when they got to the finish line, Shalene Flanagan and a number of other top ten finishers were waiting for them and gave them their medals. Nice. I think that is like, like that's cool because ultimately it's about that I did it. Thing. And if it yeah. took me all day, it took me eight hours of the day worth of work. But yeah, I exactly. Did that stuff. Exactly. So I'm looking for results right now. But you can keep on asking me all questions. All right. So 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 as you ran this marathon, I have a quick question. Okay. Did you did you run into any uh you know, this is New York marathon, this is a big deal. So did you did you run into anybody noteworthy as you were running well, the race? It's really funny because uh, because I did not run into this individual. However, I was apparently running right near Kevin Hart for most of the race. You, oh, my man, was running with Kevin, with Kevin Hart, Hart, y'all. The Kevin Hart. The Kevin Hart. Oh, do you know I was the only Gerardo Munoz that ran? That was it. Oh, check me out. All right, here we go. Here we go. Place. I I finished ten thousand nine hundred and fifty seven. That's pretty good. I think it's pretty good. You, so you yeah. beat so forty thousand people. Beat, I beat, beat about forty thousand people, people, which is pretty. I also lost to about ten thousand. That's people. all right. So talk about a matter that. of perspective, right? That's like coming in. So if we let's count it, ten thousand. Would yep. be first place. Yep, yep, yep. You came then, in second place. I mean, it's like top twenty percent, right? You came so in the like, top part of I'm second the, place. I'm in the eightieth percentile, which good. is which is not maybe not sufficient for this district, but like that's pretty good. That's good growth. Pretty good. That's so good. so my sister, uh, who lives in Seattle, like so that was the other, that was one really cool thing was having my family come out. So my wife, my daughter, uh, my sister, my nie- one of my nieces, my mom, and my stepdad, and then my and then friends, some friends of the family. All came out uh, to cheer me on, which was really cool. Um, so my sister through the app was tracking me and Kevin Hart. Yes, of course. Priorities. And, and apparently Mr. Hart was ahead of me for about 21 miles. Yeah. He yeah. was ahead of me for about 21 miles. But he's got that Hollywood training, yeah, right? He, he got that Hollywood training. He, I'm sure he has a personal chef. That, yeah, like, yeah. All that stuff, diet. right? You know, he's got, he's, he's got like Tiny Zeus Lister, like intimidating yeah, him yeah. to like keep on working. You know, I'm just doing it by my lonesome, yeah, right? Yeah. And eating whatever I can and sleeping <laughs> when I can. Uh, and so and teaching and teaching and doing That's this right. job. That brother wasn't teaching nobody. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and apparently, at around mile twenty-two, I passed him. I had no idea. This and, and mile twenty-two is at Marcus Garvey Park, yes, where my family was. Yes. And so, I, and, and I know I got that bounce from coming around. Yeah. And so at that point, I'm like, man, I'm one turkey trot away from being finished That's here. It. Like four point one kilom- miles to go, seven kilometers. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of cool. Of course, I tell the kids, and and so then I go to show them my marathon pictures, and they're like, "Where's Kevin Hart? Where's Kevin Hart? You have any pictures of Kevin Hart?" That's I'm all like, they were interested in. I'm like, "Y'all just shut up." I yeah. dusted that fool. Don't I, worry exactly. About him. You know what? He, you know where he is behind me. In my, in the, you behind see that cloud me. of dust behind yeah, me. Yeah, he's somewhere in he's there. Somewhere in there. But it, they were funny because I was like, I didn't even see him, and a couple of the kids were like, "Well, you know, he's not that tall, so you, <laughs> you may have missed him a little bit." 
Uh, but yeah, 10,957th. I ran it in three hours, 52 minutes, and 53 seconds. Very impressive. Good for an 843 pace. And I really didn't start to break down, break down until mile 25. That's impressive. Man. So there, But there is some really cool stuff. Like the New York Marathon's a great platform. I mean, you, you go out there and thousands of people are there cheering you on. I've never been in a scenario where I had people cheering me on. Yeah. Um, and when they do, I tell them, be quiet and get back to work on the assignment, you know? <laughs> and so, um, and so that was kind of cool, but there were people who really used the platform. Like there were a couple of, uh, there were, there were two men who put on big Afro wigs and 49ers jerseys and they ran as Colin Kaepernick, uh, which is really cool. And then I saw there were 43 Mexican runners yeah. who came, um, with Mexican like jerseys, like soccer jerseys. Yeah, yeah. And on the back, they all wore number 43 in commemoration of the 43 um, college students who had been kidnapped, kidnapped. and yeah. who disappeared, who nobody's ever found any yes. remains of. Yeah. And if you've been following the story, the mayor of the town, his wife, have all been arrested on conspiracy yep. charges. Yep. And so they were all representing these 43 students. Who oh, were, that's awesome. And these students who were set to become teachers. Uh, what else did I see? I saw a whole bunch of Black Lives Matter people. Yeah. I saw a woman running in traditional... Um, regalia carrying a, a no dapple like yeah sort of yeah thing. yeah yeah and it was just really cool to kind of see that and I'd hope to do something like that but you know it's it's just tough but like going forward it's one of those things like you have a platform and you know carry it and it was it was just really inspirational the people were super nice um, it's not like when I go and play like indoor soccer where yeah. the people are trying to like kill you right <laughs> you go out there and there's like a lot of money at stake but like one person gets it yeah, and yeah. so everybody else approaches it with a really nice perspective and you know they're helpful they're friendly people are like oh this is your first marathon that's amazing what a great marathon one guy's like oh well the unfortunate thing is that every other marathon you do from here on out is just going to suffer by comparison yeah this one is so much fun um oh and that's the other funny thing did i tell you i ended up in wave one no oh yeah you did mention that to me you did mention so that okay so i get my i get my bib <laughs> and i look at it and it's like oh i'm starting in wave one that's weird and and I had looked previously in 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 the website to see where I was going to start, and it said, "Oh, you're going in wave one." And I'm like, "That is weird." So they so I looked, and they said, "Oh, your best mile is 7:15, like a 7:15 mile." Yeah, I'm thinking to like, myself, I must have been really optimistic. Like, like maybe my best mile ever <laughs> in my life since I could walk. Um, but I didn't remember ever putting that number in. And then it turns out that if you run races for New York Roadrunners, yeah, um, they take that time and extrapolate it to a 10k and then they place you based on what your projected 10k time was the one new york new york roadrunner race i ever did was a 5k two years ago yeah. where i just booked it i like i ran so hard that i was gonna like throw up two and a half miles in <laughs> but i finished that at a 657 average pace Ooh. and so they're like oh, so oh 715 yeah. yeah you could do You're that fast, huh? so i'm there with elite and professional runners i think like i saw some of these runners yeah, like yeah. who were there and i'm like this is Terrifying. So I just got way in the back because I ain't trying to get in anybody's way. Um, <laughs> like, Let me just be out of the way. But somebody, it was really cool. Somebody, um, somebody said to me, um, I was like, I'm not a lead, an elite runner. What should I do? And this individual said to me, Well, you're in wave one. You're an elite runner. And I was like, I'll be an elite runner. I'll just, I'll act like I belong here. You know. Did you know what that sounds like? It sounds like like what you say to your AP students. Yeah. Where they're like, I don't belong here. 
<laughs> and you're like, you're in the AP class. Yeah. So you belong, so you belong here. here. Yeah. So Unless just there's do. a scheduling mistake, which just like, do. there isn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun to see people milling around, like in the office area, kind of doing their thing. They I, watch I think us. they're sneaking looks at us. I don't think they're. Hopefully. They don't want us to think that they're. They're staring at us. Staring at us. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool if people were just staring at us as we recorded. That'd be strange. <laughs> we, you know, we could do a live show at some point. Oh, Which we, we, we have some opportunities coming up. So let me ask you something. Yes. In my interview. Oh, right. I forgot oh, we were doing an interview here. Steep interview. So you run in the marathon. Are you guys talk? Can you talk to people as you run? Are you like talking? Or you, like- can, you can. So I, I was dumb. Um, I like, I was having so much fun the first 12 and a half miles yeah. that I'm like, I'm like, I'm running by the crowd, like raising my arms, getting everybody yeah, to like cheer. Yeah, I put up. my hand, I'm cupping my hand to my ear. People are going crazy. I'm high-fiving all the kids. <laughs> and probably around mile 16, I was like, I'm tired. Like, And so there's so there's not a lot of conversation, but there's a lot of like smiling and there's a lot of like, you know, kind of like friendliness and that kind of thing. But the, all the talking happens before. The, before. Yeah, you're in the corral, you're chilling, you're getting to know people, you're talking, asking them questions and stuff. So not a lot of time to... Talk and you're so like freaked out. Like, like you, I'm running on the Veritano Narrows Bridge, yeah. and it's like it's pretty exciting because there's like helicopters flying overhead with you know yeah, news yeah. crews and oh, all this wow. other kind of stuff. Also, lots of things that I never thought I would ever see in my life, which I'm not going to necessarily uh, point out here on the <laughs> podcast. Uh, let's just say it's really important that you hit the restroom before you start running because. Uh, and I didn't have to go. This is a lot of information. I didn't have to this go the real at talk, all though. This until is what, the end. This is what I hope for until for my end. interview, that I'm yeah. getting some real good stuff. It's just like I've just like it, I, I thought I was like at a fish concert or something. You know, it's like <laughs> let's go wherever you need <laughs> to wherever go. Wherever you need to go. And I guess like what can you do? In someone's yard. Yeah. You know who we're talking to. Yeah, we we know you're out there, Matt Pooper. We know you're there. The so but it's funny because like you, the people tell you, oh, if you went it, depending on what wave you're in. If you're running on the lower level of the bridge, run towards the middle because you don't want to get urinated upon. Oh my gosh! And so, and and then other people are like, "That's a myth. Like that. That's you're not like, something that really happens." And but sure enough, two miles into the race, people like need to go, and they're on the bridge, and it's like really hard to run if you have to go to the rest. It was crazy. It was crazy. Like runners can be nasty, stuff. but the like, real stuff. but all that stuff was pretty much over three miles in. Everybody you know? had released. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it was just really strange. Um, but I didn't stop once except like I would pause to, to take my splash of water yeah. and Gatorade at the hydration stations yeah, yeah. because I do not believe in waterboarding myself to save three seconds. I think that's <laughs> good. <know>? <laughs> I'm dying. I'm dying. That's what I'm, I'm wondering when I'm watching like, people well, drinking. You see it, people like choke and like, and you have to stop anyway. Like, I don't want to die. Yeah. It's crazy. And then you got to be careful not to slip on the cubs. So, so what, what, what do you think deep down inside, and I'm, my questions are coming to an end, but what, inspired, yeah. what kept you going? What motivated you? Uh, let's see. What kept like me going? Like when it got hard, when you're like, okay. Man, it didn't get hard. It did. Oh, No, I'm just man. kidding. Uh, I think the thing, honestly, you know, and it's like my friend Sean who coached me, shout out to Sean. Uh, it's like he said, like, you're way too competitive to ever like, and I think that's what it is. And I'm just like individually very competitive. I think this came up last show too. (laughs) So no matter how much I was like hurting or like questioning my ability to continue doing this, it never occurred to me to stop because I'm like, it would hurt me more for people to see me stop than it would for me to actually collapse. Because at least if you collapse, it's because you just gave it everything you you had. But no, I I didn't get tired. Like, so 
miles 16 to 18 are really hard because you're running across the Triborough Bridge. Yeah. And that's just brutal. There's like nobody there. And it's just <laughs> like no people don't cheer you on the bridge, and you so, just run. That, that's so what you're just, just like. I'm just with all these other really miserable people, and then you come out, and then it's a big cheering section. But it's but that was rough. That so the only time I was like questioning was mile 16 to 18, and then mile 25, where I was like, if I stop, I'm not starting again. Yeah, like I just have to just keep on going. But that's when that like that's where I think. The thing that I really learned from the whole from that experience physically is you can always push a little bit beyond what you think your limitations are. So I just let the muscle memory take over and just like and just like just feet have to keep on moving. Feet have to keep keep on moving. And I get to mile twenty five, I'm like, I have one point four miles to go. That's it, you know, and then to finish off in Central Park, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. So as you're talking and you talk about, you know, just keep going till I collapse. Or if I collapse or make it. Like Eminem. Like and a part of me, I feel <laughs> like dogs. it's like teaching, right? Yeah. Is it like some days I'm like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Yeah. But like I would, I can't let myself quit. Did no. you like, so it's kind of like that. Last question. What did you learn about yourself, life, being a teacher, just going for your dreams Man, based I on think this? What I've, did it teach you? Honestly, like. You know, and I and I and I have so I have students who are taking like three classes with me right now. Yep, so they've yep. heard this like three different times. Yep. Plus, at the all school meeting last week. Yeah. Um. I think the most important thing I got out of this experience was like I never I never predicted when I was like twenty five and ostensibly in the best shape of my life and young with my full constitution everything ahead yep. of me. I never imagined I would ever do a marathon, and I never ever imagined that I would do it after the age of forty. And so, like right now. Right now, man, like I don't, I don't see a lot of limitations for myself. Like, like not to sound like super arrogant, because I still misstep and I still make bad choices and bad decisions. But, but like even when it comes to like my last period class of the day, trying to like pull stuff out of them, I'm like, you know what? I can get you to do something. Look, I need you to do a little bit more, and I'm gonna start dropping that on them. Yeah. I'm gonna be like, hey, oh, you're tired. Let me tell you about tired. <laughs> Let me tell you. Mile 25. Mile 25 is tired. Asking you to write one more sentence. You cannot tell me about being tired. All right? That's right. Um, But I think a lot of it is more, it's less about what I'm going to demand of them and more of what I demand of myself, you know. And I've been listening to the Hamilton soundtrack. (laughs) Spoiler alert. It's a great, great show. If y'all heard of Hamilton, I'm a little late to the party. You might have heard of this little show called Hamilton. There's this great musical. It's about Alexander Hamilton. And they rap in it. But it's not, yeah, it's a a rap (laughs) musical. What? And Alexander Hamilton is played by a dark-skinned guy. Wait, I heard that several of the characters are played by dark-skinned people. Did you hear people. that? I heard that, too. So, so guys, I really think we're on the bottom floor of this, this Alexander Ham- this Hamilton musical thing. I think it's going to be big. Um, <laughs> so I'm listening to Hamilton, and, like, in one of the things where, like, you know, where there were these 84 essays that were written for the Federalist yeah, Papers, yeah, right? Yeah. And Hamilton wrote 51 of them. And so it's like, it's like you just write all the time. What's the song? It's the, uh... It's- Something. Um, 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 I can't think of it. It's like it. I don't know. I gotta I'm, listen. I'm looking at my phone, and I don't know if that's gonna get up. me anywhere. But yeah, so it's about it's a <laughs> it's about writing, and it's just sort. Forget it. I'm not gonna yeah. find it. So, um, but it's just kind of that whole idea that you can always dig deeper for the things that you want to do, and um, and that I just like. I just don't. I I don't ever think I'll say to myself, I couldn't do that like ever again yeah like i i think it'll come down to i don't want to do something it's like well that's something that'd be interesting but i'm just not interested in doing it but i i just don't believe that there's anything i want to do that i can't do now 
Yeah, yeah. Especially I passed mile 20. And at that point, I'm like, I've officially never run this far in my life. Like, I'm officially That's in a great feeling uncharted like, territory. It's, well, it's, it's, it's a little daunting, right? It's yeah. like, I have 10 kilometers to go. I'm in the unknown. I've never been here. And um, I've never seen what's about to happen over the yeah. next 54 minutes or whatever. I, I have no idea where this is headed. No idea. And um, and you see other people breaking down. Like, you're seeing people cramping up. You're seeing yeah. people um, helped off the course so they can get rehydrated and get back on yeah, the course. Yeah, yeah. And there's the, the last like five kilometers is really daunting because people are struggling. Yeah. Um, and there were people that needed help even walking out of the park. And I didn't. I was really slow. So, I was really like, slow. I need, I need to just sit. But um, but yeah, like so so that's that's the big thing. Like like do do the thing that you want to do it when you want to do it. And yeah. that's the thing I keep on trying to tell my students is like, you know, it's never too late to do anything that you want to do. I think like that's ever. that's important, and I think that's what I'm taking away from what, your experience. You know, I didn't do it, but like it makes me think about what do I want to do. Yeah. You know, those things that I I've always wanted to do, but you hold up. You know, there's some reason that you pause for it. Yeah. But uh, you're impressive, my brother. Thank you. I I'm impressed. <laughs> you're still not wearing your chain enough. I know. You gotta I wear know. your medal. I, 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 I told metal. you if I was wearing that medal everywhere it's, I go, it's on Instagram. I'd be at the gas station being like. <laughs> You got one. Why you got that medal? Cause I ran the marathon. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna bring like, that I'd be. Years. I'd have that like my Rockefeller I'm a, chain. I'm gonna bring my. I'm gonna bring <laughs> like my, my medal. Rockefeller chain. I'm, I'm gonna like, bring the medal tomorrow. I feel like I'm gonna annoy some people, but you know. But you're right though. That's you're right. right. You gotta rock it. Let your chain swing. Yeah, let your chain swing. That's right. You texted me that too. Chain swing. <laughs> that was great. All right. So, um, so we're getting into, uh, so it's a very crazy time, right? It's a week before fall break. Yeah. Uh, it's a week before Thanksgiving. I imagine it gets wilder. A little bit. A little bit. This is... I haven't taught sixth grade in a few years, so we'll kind of see what happens. As, as they get towards the, the winter break, there's a variety of reasons. I feel it's a like variety why of they reasons. Get some of it is they're excited. <laughs> yep. But then for some of our kids, it's like they're scared. Because yeah. those holidays, you know, yeah. dad gets his bonus, mom gets her bonus. What yeah. does she do? She might yeah. start to drink. Yeah, yeah. You know, and things go bad. Well, and also, like, I remember um, when I was in school, like, I had a little bit of anxiety about the holidays because it meant, like, I was going to be a week, two weeks, nine weeks um, in the neighborhood, yeah. right? And, yeah. I, and as, much as, as much as I look wistfully upon where I grew up now... Like, there's a lot of nervousness just there's being in the neighborhood where you didn't have that safe area of school to sort of be. And I think a lot of kids just have a lot of that. Like, if you live in the projects, if you live in a place that's associated with violence and crime, if you live in a place where you're isolated. Like, yep. I mean, we've had kids who commuted all the way out here from Watkins, right? Yep, yep. And, like, and that anxiety plays out in so many different ways. Yeah, and um, all the stress. So I just... You know, it's it's a it's a trying time, I think, for yeah. kids. And, and, and we, we get all excited and we're, you know, if you're blessed enough to have a solid family and have these really good connections, it's a great thing. But I think for some of our kids, it can be a really difficult time. Yeah. My advisement two years ago when they were freshmen, we did a Thanksgiving feast and we brought like food and I took all the tables. I got tablecloths, so, like put it all down yeah. and and I guess they loved it, but they like didn't really commute. So we didn't do it last year because yeah. they didn't show that much enthusiasm for it. And then, like, the last few weeks, I've been like, hey, are we going to do that thing again? That was so much fun. We did it last year. And then others are like, we didn't do it last year. I'm like, oh. So we're going to do our little feast. But one thing I always think about is, like, dealing with Thanksgiving in a way that respects our indigenous brothers yeah, and sisters. Yeah, Like, and, and to really, like, what I'm doing with my sixth graders is really framing it as 
it's not that Thanksgiving itself is bad, but it is important to recognize that, that the how feast the, of thanks, the story has been how told. the story has been told, and how we seem to forget that the feast of thanks was something that was created by indigenous people that's right. centuries before that's right. Europeans arrived, and then it was sort of co-opted, right, and sort of made into this other sort of thing. Um, and, and we forget about how you have this wonderful feast where a lot of cool things were happening, and then you have violence and warfare and um, and enslavement and property destruction and murder and all this other crazy stuff. So our indigenous kids, like, they, they know that stuff keenly. Yep, yep, yep. So it's important to be really mindful how we deal with that. I remember having a teacher that said, you know, the only people who don't like Thanksgiving are turkeys. And it's like, well, uh, but, but and now I'm thinking there's a double entendre there, right? Yeah. But but it's like, well, no, there's actually a lot to uh, to sort of consider. So so I think I'm going to do a sixth grade. You're, I need you to talk me out of yeah. this. By the way, <laughs> I'm trying to talk you out of so it. So what they what if they it sounds did, cool. I'm going to talk you. It's, out like, it's like three days of celebration, right? And I don't have three days. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. um, but what they did <laughs> is they would have days. like food. Everybody would bring a little bit of food. Yeah, right. <laughs> Everybody bring a little bit of food, but then you also play games. And so what they would do is they would do like wrestling matches. And yep. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, <laughs> they'd love that. Yeah, but but you play games as a part of giving thanks, and um, and you celebrate together and all that kind of stuff. So so I'm thinking about having this like this like true Thanksgiving activity on Thursday and Friday with those kids, and just having them sort of like get a taste of what it actually. Was, was like, like. Before, and and what the Europeans were invited to participate in. I think that's really important. I think you know, those helping them understand that there's more to it than what we see, yeah, and that 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 it's big and it's complex. I think it's great for the kid. So I'm gonna encourage you to do it. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm it's gonna encourage gonna you to do it. If I'm like super tired at the end of the week, you're gonna. But know that's why. all right. Yeah, I mean, be rolling around. We got a week off. We yeah. got a week off. Get a week off. Yeah, where we can all recover for that's sure. It. For that's sure. It. Yeah, so I mean, so just be mindful, and and you know, I also think that it is valuable to do a little some celebration if you have a community of kids that you're close to, um, like more than others, like our advisements. Yep, yep. Then maybe it is good to do something like that because you know I have students who don't actually get a Thanksgiving dinner. They actually don't do it because either the money is really tight, yep. they don't have enough family in town to really pull something together. They don't have the means to travel places, that's and, right. and who wants to travel on Thanksgiving anyway? No, but, that's worse. but like they don't have a lot. Like what we assume is going to happen for everybody doesn't happen Does, for everybody, and it may be your class where they feel the spirit of the holiday more powerfully than anywhere else. So, that's right. especially if you have little ones, man, if you yeah. got little kids, yeah. you know, definitely work with them. Although I'm pretty sure my wife is not going to be doing a Thanksgiving with her. Uh, with her, um, but I'm sure they're doing you, some. Fun you know what we stuff. did in they always World do some fun stuff. We do hand turkeys of famous people. Oh, that's cool. The hand turkeys are always. There was classic. one, one girl. Who, one girl who you know uh, did um, Angela Davis. That's right. With a little fro. That's oh, right. It was dope. It was, it was dope. dope. So you know that. So yeah, I mean, I mean, having fun with it, I think, and making it more real. Yeah. Instead of just saying this is this day where everybody was happy, it was all good, and and you know, thank. It's the one day that uh, our European American brothers and sisters are willing to thank uh, Native people. Some of them. Some of some them. Some of them for like what they got. But I think you know how we can explore it and helping kids build community. Because right. I'm big on That's this. Right. You know, like we have the space here to create community and help kids understand. Well, when I grow up, and maybe we didn't have those celebrations, but how can we do it in my family yep. and make it real so that it works for us? Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and transition. Um, so uh, 
I've got this fruit uh -oh. fly like uh -oh. buzzing around here. How's there a uh -oh. fruit fly in the principal's fruit office? Fruit flies in the principal's office. Man, that fruit fly's in the trouble. Must have did something. <laughs> Must have did something. I got detention, y'all. <laughs> that was the fruit fly. That was a fruit fly. <laughs> Yo, fly, you haven't. It's a non-union fly. Not even invited into this conversation. So, so talk about where we're going next with this, man. So, uh, talking about appropriation by teachers of color. This idea of, you know, that we are teachers of color, you know, I'm a black man who works at a school that is a predominantly, I'd say, uh, Latino, Latina school, right? A, a large a bit of our population, that is where they're coming from. And so I think we always run into this question of when we don't look like the students, even as teachers of color, how do we teach them and really connect to their issues in a way that's authentic but also does not lead to this problem of cultural appropriation. And I think some people think people of color can appropriate culture, yep. but absolutely they can, right? And we, we see all sorts of incidents from uh, celebrities to yep. people at Halloween of color, you know, appropriating cultures in really negative ways and kind of, you know, trying to pull that quote unquote black card you know, to yeah. pass, to say, you know, oh, it's okay, I'm black, so yeah. I get it, I understand where you're coming from, yeah. you know, and I think back to um, uh, The Daily Show did this great bit, I don't know if you ever saw it, where about the uh, Washington uh, football team. Yes. The, and I won't say the name because it's incredibly disrespectful, yep. Yep. And um, but they had this bit, and so they were talking, had a little kind of group of people, and they had the fans, group of fans of the Washington football team. One of them is a black dude. Okay. And they hit him with, like, they're like, so, you support, <laughs> like, he's got his jacket on, yep, he's yep, got the full yep, regalia, yep. right? He's, he's representing the, yep. the team. And they ask him, well, you know, how do you feel as a black man that this applies? Yep. And he's like, I'm done. I'm done. He just literally is like, I'm out. Wow. I'm not That's even going to talk about this. Yep. How dare you do me? Oh, I'm wow. just got your new stuff. Yep, yep. <laughs> but I think, That's you hilarious. know. I mean, you got black men playing for that team. Sure, sure. And we know if the team was called something else yep. that was that racist, that disrespectful, yeah. Yeah. we would hear everything in the world. And I, do, I, for the life of me, can't understand why the NFL allows this to go on. Yeah. And so when you talk about, you know, Kaepernick, and you, you're a proponent of this, that the NFL has so many problems. So many problems. And like, Kaepernick so is, problems. A, is a small yeah. Drop in the bucket. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. but you can think about this name of the team. But again, it goes back to like when we're people of color, teachers of colors, how do we deal with this issue of appropriation yeah. in the classroom? And can we talk about other cultures? How do we do it in a respectful way to kind of bridge those gaps? Because I know that I have to be that space where I can bring up these issues that yeah. relate to the Latino, Latina uh, community, you know, because nobody else other than you, yeah. is going to be bringing up these right, issues. Right. You know, and so how do I bring up these issues in a way that's authentic, respectful, and still allows spaces? And the kids don't feel like yeah. you're trying to in, in, come in and on, on my territory. And I'll think, you know, last week for Social Justice Monday, y'all, I wore a show, shirt that said, Stop Islamophobia. And as I was wearing yep. that shirt, I had a question in my mind. We've got a lot of um, Muslim students in our building. Yep. And I was wondering, how do they see me when they know I'm not a Muslim, mm -hmm. right? 
how do they see me when I have a shirt that says stop Islamophobia? Are they like, that's not your issue. Why, yeah. why are you on that? Although I do have to say, the first Muslims I ever met, like growing up where I grew up, yeah. looked like you. Looked like me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, we have like, Muslim kids that yeah, look like me here. Yeah. But, but, but again, it's, it's always a question of, of, you know, why, you know, do I have a right to wear that shirt? Sure. And sure. I had a shirt too, another shirt that I've, you know, I always wondered about. But it was about um, no human being is illegal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and do I have a right to wear that shirt? Or how do people see me yeah. in these communities when I'm wearing that shirt? And, yeah. and without having time to have a conversation and know my soul yeah. or heart, you know, what assumptions are made about me as a person yeah. when I wear those shirts? But see, I think I think that those two examples, and then and then the other one that you wore the two Mondays ago, the one for oh, yeah. Oscar Romero, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, so to me, that's different. To me, like, there's actually a lot of power in a non-Muslim person um, encouraging an end to Islamophobia, a non-Latino person uh, confronting the, the, the issue of undocumented immigration, right? Um, and our DACA and Dreamer kids. Yeah, yeah. Like, to me... I think, you know, as you were sort of giving, and we talked about this a little bit before, yep, yep. as you were kind of explaining that example, I was thinking to myself, how would I have felt as a young Latino brother, one of the only ones in my graduating class at Manual High School, if one of my teachers had come in wearing a t-shirt that said, mm -hmm. no human being is illegal, ningún ser humano es ilegal, mm -hmm. how would I have felt? I would have felt amazing. I would have felt like there's somebody else who believes in this as an issue as much as I do, and they don't even have a dog in this fight. Like, the, to me, that's about alliance. But now I have an incident that yeah, I shared with you ahead, earlier yeah. that I would like to... Now, this could have just been a mad dude in Harlem who yeah. was just looking for a way to get mad. Yeah. Um, but I'm really... I've, I've spent, you know, a good amount of time sort of reflecting on this. So I have a T-shirt that I like to wear, particularly when I teach my hip-hop studies class. Yeah. Um, it's a black T-shirt from Gorilla Graphics. Order from Gorilla Shout Graphics. Gorilla they Graphics. are dope. Um, but it's a t-shirt and it's a, it's a black t-shirt with a sort of gray drawing of a set of turntables and then a little kid, I, I think it's funny, I just hit 10,000 steps, not <laughs> even walking. Um, gotta love these, uh, fitness, yeah, uh, yeah. trackers. Like, so, um, so, so it's, so what it has is this little kid who's barely tall enough to like, you know, see over the turntables, but he's up there like messing with the turntables and he's got headphones on and all it says across is teach him young, right? Yeah. And so to me, it's a fun sort of affirmation of hip hop yes. and, and affirmation of hip hop for children and that kind of thing. Um, and I'd never paid particularly attention to the ethnicity of the boy on the shirt. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, and, and that could be a blind spot for me as somebody who does who has not had to walk through life as a black man uh -huh. um, who has been around a lot of African-American people, had a lot of African-American friends, but there's definitely a place where my experience falls short of theirs, yeah. right? And yeah. I, would, I would argue that there are things you've experienced that I have not, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. that I won't experience. Yeah. Um, so we're in Harlem, right? Yeah. And, um, and we're on our way down to the Javits Center to pick up my race packet. And um, this group of like two or three guys like approaches me and the first thing out of the guy's mouth is, where, yo, where are you from? And I kind of was like, I, no, first, first of all, first of all, when somebody approaches you on the street in New York City 
it's usually like they're trying to sell you something. Yeah. Like, yeah. hey, oh, buy my like mixtape. You like hip hop? Yeah. You like exactly. hip hop? And ever since I saw um, <laughs> Mr. Robot, I don't buy that stuff. You don't buy it. Did you see Mr. Robot? I haven't seen Dog, it. But so, what did they have? Like, yeah. So it was a mixtape. It. it was a mixtape that allowed a guy to hack into a computer and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, forget that. I'm trying to do that. I'll which, buy it. Don't even touch him because as soon as you touch him, they man, want money, man. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Although there was a uh, there was, there was a Buddhist that got like twenty dollars out of me for some bracelets. Oh, the because oh. we were standing because they put them on your wrist, yeah. Right? And of course, we were at this one point where we were looking lost for like two seconds, yeah, and yeah, bam, yeah, she's bam. right there, and she wanted like twenty dollars each. I'm like, you're not getting twenty dollars each. You didn't see I'll the sign. There was a sign that was like, don't don't give panhandlers money, and it was one of those Buddhists that they had a big. <laughs> So they're like, but we yeah. love our Buddhists. So yeah, we, we love we the Buddhists. We love the Buddhists. Uh, we don't love being parted with our money. So anyway, the, the man walks up to me and he says, "Yo, where are you from?" And I didn't. I just kind of like smiled and just yeah. kept because that's yeah. what you do. Yeah. Smile yeah. and keep on walking. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, "Yo, why you got a black boy on your shirt?" And um, <laughs> and I was like, "I'm definitely gonna keep walking." But it like because <laughs> you know because it's sound, like, I have my my wife and daughter with me. I'm like, this doesn't sound Let's like keep, this is gonna lead on, to. Guys. I'm gonna Let's keep, keep it moving. And and when you know we got down to the Javits Center, I I actually did put a shirt on over that yeah, one yeah. because I think that the thing that um, occurred to me. And I'm not from there, yeah, right? Yeah. And yeah. so here in Denver. Um, where we have like a very particular community and very particular set of like cultural interactions yep. that happen, I, I felt no hesitation to wear that shirt to school. Yep, yep. Like around town, even with my in-laws who just think I'm weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, but it did sort of think about like this this big insecurity that I've had for a really long time. Like I am a Spanish surnamed brown man who grew up in a predominantly African-American neighborhood and loved every minute of it, yep. right? Um, and um, my closest friends were African-American until I was in high school. Um, and I think it took me a lot more work to feel comfortable around my own people yeah, than it yeah. did to feel around African-American people. But I wonder if there's been a little bit of inadvertent appropriation on my part because I do feel that there have been times where I could just sort of I could just sort of find my way into a conversation because I speak some of the lingo, I know some of the cultural references, and it does feel comfortable for me. But at the same time, that's not my experience. But I think you see what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying, and I, I love that the shirt is related to hip hop because, like, this is my big question about hip hop and where are we going. We have this conversation about cultural appropriation because hip hop is a culture in itself. Right, Absolutely. there is a Absolutely. culture of hip hop, and there are people who have grown up in it, Living. and and it's all Zulu Nation. Yep, it's as problematic as Africa <laughs> is right now. Yeah, and the statements that KRS One made, oh, and, and it got controversial. Yeah. But those are you know our hip hop elders, and and I respect yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're. Uh, but that's a whole other show. We talk about uh, that's right, the Africa Bambata. but. Uh, <laughs> You know, making a note. <laughs> but again, the Zulu Nation was multicultural. Yeah. Right? From the beginning. Yeah. And so when we talk about that, you know, like, I, just like you said, my situation wasn't appropriate. I feel like yours was an appropriation. And when you talk about the way that you talk, well, you're talking in a way that comes from hip hop. Sure. Right? And I don't know if that belongs, you know, and I think it's, it's the authentic you. It's where right. you fall back to. It's like if you were going to be talking on a, on a weekend, how would you be talking? Right? You're talking about you're using those same words because that's yeah. who you are. Yeah. You know, and so I just wonder, you know, 
when we think about this issue of cultural appropriation, especially when it relates to hip hop culture, you know, this my, my big question is, what does it mean to be African American? Right. Is it about the experience or Native American, right. you know, or any of these things? And it's it's one thing, like I think about the dashiki, yeah. that that's become popular, fashionable, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and all, I see white people wearing dashikis yeah. now. Yeah. And I'm like, is that cultural appropriation? Or is it someone saying, hmm, this is a cool outfit. Yeah. I like the colors. I yeah. like the style. I like Although what it says Although with something that is culturally uh, particular, both historically and like socially, um, something like a dashiki, like I actually do want to know that the individual wearing that shirt, like, to, okay, so African Americans to me have a pass. You wear that shirt. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, your, yeah, that, yeah. Like you yeah. wear it. You have been so, you've been so much for our country. <laughs> you've carried the water for the, yeah. you can do whatever you yeah, want. Yeah. Um, but if I do see a white person or a non-black person wearing a dashiki, I would hope that they are not just into it because it's cool. Because this is where we get into things like Coachella, right? Yeah, where it's like, and it's cool to wear a headdress. Where it's like, well, I'm just wearing a headdress because it's Coachella and Coachella is its own culture. It's cool. But it's like, no, like, so I do want to know if you're going to rock that dashiki, that you're also going to rock with Black Lives Matter, that you're also going to rock with um, with like the school to prison pipelines disruption. Like and you're talking about this stuff on a day to day basis. Yeah, like, and, like, and are you, you got black things? folks who come to have been in your house? In your house, that's right. right? That's right. You're like, yeah. yeah, you you ain't mad that your sister married a black dude. I mean, uh, you know, my wife and I talk a lot about like a lot of these white guys who teach salsa. You know, yes. who teach Latin dance. Yeah, and again, like some of these cats can. Dance, dance and they've traveled to like Cuba and Puerto yep, Rico yep, to, yep. to like learn dance and that kind of thing. But then the question to me is then also so also are you signing petitions to um, to save DACA students? Are you um, fighting to save bilingual education in our schools? Are you fighting the destruction of culture and and encouraging multilingualism? multiculturalism in your own life or do you just like the dance because it makes you feel cool yeah you know no i love that i love that you know and, and thinking about it you know i think it goes back to co-conspirator yeah. are you a co-conspirator that's right that's are right. you doing this for fashion is this yeah. a fashion show if it's a fashion thing that's appropriation yeah. right if, if if you're only doing this on halloween because you yeah. think it's funny to dress up this way yeah that's clear appropriation if you're doing it because you're like oh this is a cool look i like yeah. this yeah you know but if you're like culturally it's like there, the season for cultural appropriation isn't it, it we, is. had, we had halloween a couple of weeks yep. ago and now there's a lot of appropriation that happens around thanksgiving. thanksgiving by the way parents out there do not allow your children to be dressed up as pilgrims or indians for some pageant That's and right. teachers out there you better not do don't that don't do that do not do that don't teach do the it. story in a more authentic teach realistic the real story way. teach the real story and you don't have to do it with all the like messed up stuff that happened like you can teach the story in the spirit of what it was at the time that's right Cultures coming together and breaking bread, and that's what it was in 1607 or whenever, 1623, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever it Something was. Something like that. Yeah. I don't, I don't know the exact Yeah. Thing. No, but you're right. But I think, like, there's a different, there's, like, to me, there's a hierarchy, right? Like, I'm, I'm cool, like, you rock your dashiki and rock your guayabera. Cause yeah, it, yeah, like, the, yeah. like, I can't tell you how many, like, white dudes I saw okay. wearing guayaberas, like, the last couple, last, like, ten years. I mean, if you travel to Cuba, that's, 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 that's it's the, the uniform. fashion. That's it's the, the uniform. uniform. And, uh, so, and if you live in South Florida, I think that's probably, like, right, it's, that's it's right, just that's like, right. I gotta get me one. But now when it comes to the headdresses and when it comes to the hijabs, I was just looking at this article from The Root about yeah, cultural yeah, appropriation. Yeah. And there's one of a young woman of color, like, wearing, like, a hijab. And doing this whole Arabian Nights kind of thing, like to me, when when it's sacred, you don't do you it. You don't do it. You don't do it under any circumstances. And this is why whatsoever. I think ultimately you have to do the research. 
to know you if do. it's sacred. You do. You know, uh, some of the people who do the, the henna painting or the bindi and things yeah. like that, yeah. they don't understand what this stuff That's means. Right. They right. have That's no right. idea right. of what it means. Yeah. But, you know, I think also there's this place where, where people do value the culture. So like mm-hmm. we're saying, if you're that cold conspirator and you deeply value it, and if, if you're pulled to it, let it take you further. That's right. Say, I want to know more about the history of African peoples. And let it be history. about the African people, yeah. not about you. Yeah. Not about your ability to wear what you want to wear. And, and go to the African clothing store. The Af- I mean, I think in most of our communities, we have these stores. Oh, yeah. or we have these unique communities. You're out in Aurora. That's like, yeah. Where we can experience Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Where we can go to really <laughs> fundamentally experience it. I think about like my parents at church. So at my parents' church, the black church. Yeah. At black church, everybody go to black church, know this happens. At, uh, so it goes to Black History Month. <laughs> and we get to Black History Month and everybody wears, there's like a day where they're like, we're going to dress our African attire. Yep. My parent, my dad will always take my my son and daughter out to a road. They come back fresh. They get custom tailored. Ooh. Every year Ooh. they get something new. Like, and my son will look so good. You know what my son says, though? I don't like to wear it to school. I'm like, why? He's like, people talk about it. They, they, it's not normal. And so he sees it as mm. something. And so I think it's important for, for our kids to yeah. see that people wear this stuff. Yeah. And that it's realistic and, and, and like it's part of your culture because I want my son to be proud of that stuff. It's yeah, part of sure. his experience that other people aren't getting yep. to, to get these clothes. And then like one day when he travels to Africa, knock on wood, he's going to see, yep. oh, wow, there's a lot of people who dress like this in West Africa and East Africa. And and I get it. It's cooler. It's like keeps me cool. Oh, of course, and I'm like, of course. You know, I had, yeah, well, I had a professor, a uh, Nigerian professor, Chidin Obani, yeah. up, at, up at Boulder. And man, I hope he's still there. He was the greatest. But like, he always used to wear his jellabas. He yeah. always wore that stuff, and dude just looked on point. He was great, yeah. But I think also when it, when it comes to because how old's your son? He's uh, 10. He's 10 nine, years old. Nine, so, or wait, 10, nine. You know how old your children he's are. He's nine. He's going to be 10. <laughs> That's all right. I, my wife. My daughter's 10. My wife, needs to re- my wife needs me to remind her how old she is every birthday. Like she's My like, wife tried to ten? trick me like a couple years ago. She's like, you're 40. I was uh, No, she was like, you're 39. And I was like, no, I'm not. Why are you trying to lie on me? Why are you trying to take years off my life? <laughs> take years off my life. Because she had already turned 40. So she's like, uh, I'm trying to get you where Misery I loves am. company. Yeah, no, but I think that when it comes to like a 9, 10-year-old kid, like there are these competing aspects of like of like being proud of your culture, yeah. but also being accepted yeah. and being able to see others like you. Because like – the last thing a 10-year-old wants to be is unique right now yeah. because they feel like they stand out. They feel weird. They feel like they're not right. That's right. And I think that's something that we have to take into account but also you know, push them on and be like, but aren't you glad that the history of fashion from your culture is really different and, and really exciting and really yeah. interesting? Well, it's like when we see our um, – what I love about um, some of our young Muslim girls Yeah. Is their style? Oh yeah, how they rock those hijabs with yep. their outfits yep. and they match and they yep. just and I'm, I love to see it because I'm like, that is so cool. Yeah. You know that uh, that ability of expression and pride. Yeah. And well, and the boys culture. too. When we, we have some of the boys that when they do dress traditional, like it's it's really cool. It's You're cool. like, man, you guys look like young adults. So right whenever here. you guys see our kids dressed up in these unique ways, you know, I think it's important. I think it's important for us to come in sometimes. 
wearing this stuff, like, yeah. you know, thinking about it. And I'm going to try to make sure when they go in February that I get my outfit too this time. I'm going to go with them. Because usually I just look at it as a chance to be like, Dad's got the kids. Yeah. I got some time. I got just some time. relax. <laughs> I'm going to participate. Well, you know, yeah. watch some basketball. Yep, you know? That's right. That's, right. But, that's but, right. but really kind of finding those ways. And so I think going back to like this whole thing about, you know, appropriation by teachers of color, I think it's possible. I think we have to be really careful yeah. Yeah. and conscious of the things that we do, you know, in our classrooms. And 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 I think we have to talk to our students. Yeah. And and really make sure, hey, I was thinking about doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, reaching out to some of our Native American students before I was gonna do this lesson. Do you see any problems with this? Yeah. Right? Or you know, how yeah. could how is this gonna come off, you yeah. know, to my Muslim students? You know, how will this come off? Yeah. And I, I remember when I was teaching seventh grade and we go over comparative religion and talk yeah. about Islam. How is it coming off when I'm when I'm come, talking about, you know, you know, the five pillars mm-hmm. and why they're important to Muslims and why they do it, you know? And again, avoiding making them be the native experts. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because I don't want that. Because a lot of times, you know, our kids, while they are, you know, native to these cultures, they are not the experts. Because right. it's like you said... I'm a 11, 12, 13 year yeah. old kid. This has been stuff that kind of has always seemed a little. I felt yeah. like at home I can be proud of it, yeah. but when it's out in public, well, and they've not necessarily gotten the opportunity to learn this stuff. Like, I mean, I have a couple of um, of Mexican American students in my Raza Studies class who, for them, it's like this is all brand new, and they and they go through a process of feeling sometimes ashamed and embarrassed that they don't already know it yeah but also kind of empowered because like like one kid said to me it's like well the cool thing is there's some white kids in this class and none of us know anything about this that's right actually kind of on a level playing field here and so they really embrace that kind of opportunity but yeah i think you're right i think and i think drawing attention to it is really important i mean there's a family of indigenous students here that have come through here and two of them have already graduated from college one is uh with us right now and i think just putting light on their experiences in history um even if it's very surface and introductory like they love it and and these guys really enjoy having a space at the table and i think that's really important and i think also like as as teachers we can be really mindful about how we present this stuff you know um you know what what are the implicate like like years ago um i taught an african-american history class yeah and i I knew that that was a loaded situation. Yeah. And yeah. so it was something I tried to address with the kids every day. Let's consider the fact that you are not leading yourselves right now. Right now you have a non-African American person leading you through this curriculum. So let's talk about the implications of that. Let's talk about how this should look and how it shouldn't look. Yeah. And let's get y'all teaching as soon as possible because this is this is book knowledge for me. Yeah. This is experiential knowledge for you and hopefully it allows you to understand your own circumstances and community in ways that maybe you didn't before. And I think that's part of our job as a teacher, especially for kids of color, is because they're not having these conversations. And and I will tell you, one of the most devastating things as a kid of color to grow up and go to college and you get in one of these identity classes yeah. is that feeling of, I didn't know any of this. Yep. And you have other kids of color for whatever reason, because of where they grew up. Yep. Uh, you know, they're, they're they're like, I know this stuff. And, and they're like, are you kidding me? You don't know yeah. who these people are? Yeah. You know, and and I think that it goes that we are the intellectuals in the classroom, right? Yeah. We understand how to navigate this stuff, how to find the information. I think it's important for teachers to 
to put this stuff. And that's how you yeah. avoid being the cultural appropriator, I think, yeah. is that you're really... I, I did the right. research, and I learned as much about this stuff as I could. Yep. You know, and, and, and I've got an understanding of it. You know, and I always I feel like it comes up when I have to pronounce Spanish words. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I feel like... And I, and I want... And I love when my students are like, no, this is how you say it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm yeah. terrible with my Spanish pronunciations. Yep. You know, my wife has been trying to get me to figure out how to roll my R's forever because she grew up she's a white woman from new mexico <laughs> yep. and so she has always thought she could speak spanish better than yeah. she can <laughs> she probably she can't can. <laughs> she can't speak true spanish because she yeah. took spanish in public school and yeah. public school spanish is like the word like that's the surest way that you'll never be able to speak spanish. right but yeah and i think yeah and it's it, you're not in not at our school our school not is, at our, our school. school is better than that that's right that's right but it's hard like it's like it's what language is hard because like it's the only place where it is less authentic yeah. than than any other subject. Like you are, unless you go and live among a culture and live among a society where you have to survive in the language, it's really hard for it to resonate yeah. and yeah. be real, you know. And um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think you're absolutely right, and I think we do need to be mindful, you know what I'm saying. And, and I'll wear my shirt again, right? Yeah, you better. But bro. But, I, but I think that it's also important to like you know I know some students who have. Um, a women's lit teacher who's a male and um, and I would encourage that individual to own the fact I'm a male teaching this class that's right it is a fraught situation because I'm teaching this class but this is where you can really work as a co-conspirator where you can kind of say hey, I'm, I'm growing I'm on a journey I, I want too. I want to do this I want you to have this experience I want you to be able to study women writers and if and if I'm the only one Who's gonna create a space for you to do that? Let's let's do this and let's make it really focused on highlighting women's voices, like through this, as opposed to just here's a class for you and here's some books. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, it's it's like I think back to when I was teaching the gender studies class. You know, yeah. as a cis black male, yep. which I heard is the the white male of the black community, <laughs> right? Boy, is that's it, been that's been a debated yes, topic it, for sure. But I I had to there there was stuff where I was like you know there's I was exploring some ideas about gender fluidity that were new to me. Yeah. Right. But it, I, I embraced it and said, "This is what I'm teaching." Yeah. I've got to understand it for my kids, who are interested in the class, who had gender fluidity in the yeah. class, it, to really start to get to understand their perspective about the subject. Yeah. So that I wasn't feeling like I'm an outsider. Yeah. And that I'm telling, and I think also you have to say. I can't tell you how to think about this stuff. I can no. put ideas, nope. and I want you to find ways to interpret yeah. them. And and sometimes, you know, I'm a guide on the side, yeah. not that sage on the stage. Yeah. This is, and I think you know when we have to teach those identity classes that are outside our background, yeah. it forces us into being guide on the side. Yeah. Whereas if you sit up there and you're like, I'm the expert about black people, and Ooh. I'm the white guy, or Ooh. I'm the expert about women and yeah. i'm the man and yeah. i'm talking about when this happens for yeah. no I'm women talk, how do you feel about yeah. it when this happens i'm gonna talk about gender studies even though i'm in a heterosexual relationship Ship. and i'm a cis male and, and everything in my life in terms of gender has I, always and been by old. the way i don't know anybody who lives outside of that's traditional right. constructs that's right you know, I, yeah. i've only you know got three gay friends you yeah. know and like and i don't really see them you know, and, and they don't come to the and house, and they're kind of toned down. You know, <laughs> like you know what I mean. It's like, it's, so I think, and I, and you know, for me, I don't know, y'all. Like to me, the whole question of of avoiding cultural appropriation and the whole question of how you create an anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti-heteronormative space in your classroom. Shut up and listen. Ooh. 
that's just right. shut up and listen. Just shut up and listen. You know, and I think, and that's a hard thing to do, um, especially if the kids don't always see the immediate like urgency of what you're doing. Like I, when I teach this Rasa Studies class, I kind of, I kind of do like to think I bring a messianic zeal to it because what I say to them is like. So do you think your history needs to be taught in a way that dignifies and respects us as a community? Yes. Then you better be willing to do a DBQ for an elective class. You better be willing to take tests and to write essays and to do hard thinking about this because we are trying to elevate the status of this work. That's right. And um, and I think and I think that's like one approach. But I do think like a lot of it is like I just need to like we just need to listen. Like what is it? How do you make sense of your identity? How do you make sense of gender in your life and now i'm going to just listen and, I'm gonna hear and let you, you practice the freedom of defining yourself as you wish to be defined and i think you so often teachers are in this habit and i think it's probably because we grew up in schools where it was like no i'm going to define it for you yeah and i think we are past that point. and we came to think that that was learning yeah. have somebody define it for me now i can recite now it I now can i recite know it to you now i'm good i now mean I the can... banking notion works if you're a baller right that's right that is <laughs> if you got, absolutely if you right. got a lot of stuff deposited in, into your life and into your yeah, brain yeah you're the great banking with notion banking. of education is you're beautiful great because right? you're like i can i can spit it out i come into any test and i'm good and i'm the top yeah and you always felt good why am i the top well i memorized all the facts yeah yep. i had it I mean, but it was set up our, for our, me. our friend the, sm the smiling prophet talks about that experience um having been a great student in school who could play all of the games. That's right. And then kind of having this revelation that, but really, I'm not, I'm not even interrogating the things that I'm learning. I'm just absorbing no. them, you know. And like, I think part of the benefit for me in life was that I wasn't a great, I was pushed outside. <laughs> and so yeah. it caused me to question it. Yeah. It was like, well, well, why why is it that me and my friends are treated this way yeah. and this other group of people is elevated in status? And that's what kind of pushed me yeah. into kind of, critical theory and, and just asking questions about stuff and yeah and see i was i was on the outside looking in i yeah. was a mediocre student who didn't feel as smart as most of the but i wanted to be around them and i wanted to be able to compete with them. yeah but shocker i, I was competitive you were competitive back then. like I, I really wanted to be able to compete with them i wanted to be able to argue with them i wanted to be able to inhabit the same spaces that they inhabited um i wanted to date the same people they were dating yeah 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 all that <laughs> right? stuff like, all, all that stuff but i think like i i think that that those are the those kinds of awakening moments that you have you know so well we're running long yeah uh, we it's getting dark oh my gosh <laughs> do we want to talk change. about some of those events that we yeah had let's do up? that so we have a couple of cool first of all we want to shout out the university of colorado at boulder shout uh, out college of education you, yeah even though we were unable to attend i really apologize for requesting a sandwich that i didn't show up to eat oh i signed us up <laughs> hey, you, hey you didn't show up either. i didn't go to get my sandwich <laughs> we didn't get our sandwich if i had known there was a sandwich oh man we there. may have i couldn't oh. man i had to be on a plane oh, yeah. um so uh, but shout out to the university of colorado boulder which i think for over a decade has done the teachers of color summit um awesome. every november and we would really love to be there i remember years ago i went i used to actually be on a planning committee yeah. here and uh, and then I just kind of lost touch with a lot of stuff that was going on. But Jonathan Kozel spoke at one. At oh one wow! Point. Uh, Gloria Ladson Billings yes. spoke. Uh, Dr. Raylan Rabaka spoke. Yeah. Like there, um, Kathy Escamilla, guru of uh, 
of uh, biliteracy yes. uh, also spoke. So really cool conference. It tends to be the first week of November. Um, and so I would love if more of us in the Denver area could attend this conference next year, the summit next year. Um, I remember it being very empowering, very powerful stuff. Uh, so maybe we can set something up. Yeah. Also, uh, students at the Denver Center for International Studies yes. will be putting on an event on Thursday evening, uh, November 16th. So at this recording, it's November 13th, yep. Monday. So you should have enough time to plan Three for days. it. Uh, three days. Um, it's called Camino de Sueños, and I've got the information here. You can find them on Facebook. Camino um, de Sueños. Camino de Sueños. Look at that pronunciation. It's not bad, man. <laughs> See, sometimes I can get it. Yeah. So I got to listen. Yeah, you got to. You got to listen. So I'll just read from and the... And then try. Yeah, and then try and just got to do it, right? Uh, so here's the information from the Facebook event. We are excited to invite you to an event that is dedicated to supporting immigrants through listening and discussions. We hope to bring undocumented people together, whether it be DACA recipients, dreamers, parents, etc., and allies, to form a safe space for conversations around immigration in order to gain understanding of what it is like to be an immigrant of at this time. Uh, the event is connected to a larger series of events around the country that are sponsored by the CCDA, Christian Community Development Association. Um, each Camino de, de Sueños event will involve time of writing and artistically expressing dreams that people have for dreamers and their families. Nice. Their dreams will be written on note cards and hand-delivered to D.C. by fair, various faith leaders in the U.S. during a gathering on December 5th. Nice. Um, and nice. uh, I understand Ooh. that this uh, event is... Um, is student created. Yep. Um, so it is from 5 to 7 p.m. Um, at the Denver Center of International Studies, located at 574 West 6th Avenue. You can find the information on Facebook. You can also uh, search Twitter under the hashtag uh, Camino de Sueños, one word. Um, art, share, and act. Definitely. Shout out. Shout Big out. stuff. You know, I think this is what we want. We want kids to have agency. And to be able to say, when I have these problems in my life, I know how to take action to deal yep. with it. And so that's the good thing. Yeah. And in future episodes, uh, we'll be checking in with um, a young woman from Manual High School who yeah. is at the center of the controversy with Weld County High School. Uh, what ensued after that controversy and that conflict was a really wonderful coming together of student Definitely. leaders from both high schools. This young woman wrote a column in the Denver Post, and she has agreed to come on the show. So we'll be talking to her in short order. We also will be talking to some dreamers. We've actually connected with a uh, with a DACA protected teacher yes. um, out of uh, Southern Colorado who has agreed to come and speak with us. We'll be talking about some, it. I mean, the, the block is hot, right? The block is hot. There's a lot going on right now, so we're here to hot. we're here to hold down the block like always. That's it. Um, so we uh, so we're gonna bring this to a close today. Um, if we don't talk to you before the week off, really enjoy your week off. Yeah. Take time to really be thankful for the people around you. That's right. And, um, and thankful for the opportunities you have to make a difference in your community. That's what it's all about. Yep. Um, so for two dope teachers and...